Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. If you have any questions for our panelists, or if you would like to suggest a topic uh, for a discussion in the future, go to BibleQuest.org at any time and click the Contact Us button. But for right now, we are stream, uh, streaming live Hello, on everyone, YouTube. And welcome to oh, wait Bible a second. Quest. I got a double the echo Wednesday here. Edition. What's going on here? If you have any questions, I'm going to just end it and turn it over to Joe. I kind of do this so professionally. I blew it today. Joe, take it away. Well, that's extremely fitting to uh, to have that uh, mistake as I'm uh, going to be leading the discussion today. Uh, so I am Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Joining me, um, a surprise panelist. Um, uh, we have uh, Chase Byers and Jeff Smelser on, uh, the three of us at the same time, which we haven't had for a few weeks. Hey, guys. Hey, Hello. with the way things have gone so far, I'm going to boycott today. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, we're going to discuss uh, the Christian and government today. And uh, I suspect that those that are listening in will have some uh, some views, whether they are uh, some scriptures that they think are relevant or uh, just some opinions based upon uh, principles that they find in the scriptures. Uh, so we would certainly welcome any comments or questions. Uh, please send those in through whatever medium that you're using to, to listen to us. We welcome those. We're not necessarily looking to have a, a polemical or argumentative discussion today. Um, uh, I mean, I know I'm right, so the guys are going to agree with everything I say. But um, uh, we, we do sometimes find ourselves in disagreements about how active Christians should be and in what manner Christians should participate in government. And so we just thought we'd spend some time this afternoon discussing uh, a few passages and thinking about some applications to those in our own lives. So where would you all suggest beginning? If somebody were to ask you in a Bible study or, you know, out on the street, they find out that you're a Christian and they say, well, what, what should a Christian do in relationship to the, the government today? How, how involved should we be? So I'm going to just throw this out. You know, a lot of people would immediately think of Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, which are passages that talk about needing to submit to the government. And that's true. And we need to spend some time in those passages today. I might start with John 18, um, when Jesus is before Pilate. And um, the question is, is he a king or not? Well, of course he's a king. But the Jews were trying to make it out that this sets him at odds with Caesar. And so Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews in verse 33? And after some back and forth, Jesus says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. If we are God's people, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And uh, two or three months ago, I presented a lesson which I, I, I talked about the idea that some people have is there's the secular government and then there is the kingdom of Christ. And they see those as kind of peers, as, as you know, equals, and we are subject to both. And I, I tried to get across the idea that, no, that's not the way we need to look at it. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. 
our king is above all because of our submission to him we will submit to various people who are over us and various uh, institutions that are over us and that'll include civil government but they're not co-equal um uh, rulers over us uh that's where i'd start i guess go ahead chase so the passage that would come to my mind as i think about my wishes for government my mind goes to first timothy chapter two where paul says to timothy first of all then i urge that petitions prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So there's really two points I get from that. One, one of my responsibility as a Christian in government is to be praying for these kings and for praying for these people who are in a position of authority. But this really also gives us what Paul's thinking is that the Christian's view should be toward government, is that whatever government is installed, we want to be able to lead a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And so that's something I'm gonna focus my prayers around is not only for the rulers and authorities in general, but also that in whatever the way they rule, Christians be able to live their godly lives in all dignity and quietly. Um, so that's a passage that comes to my mind. Yeah, um, and I think that is, uh, that's sort of the, um, the bare minimum, right? Um, uh, that uh, the way that we need to approach, we need to seek to be Christ-like in uh, uh, our dealings with the government, and and coupling that with uh, Jeff's statement, then that we submit to God, and so do the governments, whether they acknowledge that or not. Thus, the 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 phrases that we find in scriptures that He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, uh, you know, we we recognize that that God is in charge of or is over yeah. all the governments. He's over all the world. Uh, you know, Jesus, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. That's not just in a sort of vague religious sense only. He has all authority. Um, the, the Lord of hosts as well. That's another idea in the Old Testament that covers the, the, the God of the armies of heaven. I mean. Yeah. For all the armies that are here on the world, there's God who's the God of the armies of the heavens. He, he's much higher than them. Right. Uh, Jeff, I, I liked your passage in John 18. When you first said, John, I thought you were going to John 19 um, to discuss this, but I really like the way that you uh, began uh, dealing with that there. But maybe just continuing that conversation then in, uh, in John 19, when... It looks like Jesus is on trial, but actually Pilate's the one on trial, right? Right. Um, uh, and uh, so Pilate, uh, as they're interrogating Jesus and questioning him, and uh, Jesus won't give an answer uh, at the end of verse 9, verse 10 of John 19, Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And so the power that Pilate has was given from above. And when he says above, he's not talking about Rome. Right. Um, he's, he's talking about that Pilate gains his authority from God himself. 
Um, and so again, just recognizing uh, that the the governments, earthly governments, are subject to God, and if they don't submit, then they will be held accountable for that, just like we as individuals. So, you know, and, and, and so when we think about that, of course, that's right. Pilate's power was from above, but I think some people think of that as uh, meaning that civil government is necessarily, uh, if civil government does it, it's right. And any anybody who says that, they if you pin them down and you say, well, is this right? Is that right? They, they could see things that civil government does that are wrong. But let me bring to, to um, this is kind of unbalanced the way I'm starting out with my comments here, but let's do this anyway. Do you remember when I was a kid, I would hear debates in which preachers would debate the institutional issues. And somehow what would enter into those debates was there are three divine institutions. Yeah. Uh, and, and those three divine institutions were the church, the government, and the home. Yep. And, and and I don't think that's the way we ought to think of it. The, the government is not a divine institution in the same sense that either the home or the church is certainly not in the same sense the church is. Uh, God, you you mentioned a moment ago, God can, it can and does use civil government, but he uses them whether they're good or whether they're bad. He uses right. them, you know, whether the things they do are good or bad. He uses them. He used Pharaoh uh, in Egypt for this cause. I raised you up that I can show in you my my power. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. And, and he used you know, he, he's used some bad governments for good causes. So there he, you know, we sort of see that with Pharaoh, but it was completely negative in the way that it came about yeah. um, uh, with the plagues and the, the, the destruction of Egypt and so forth. But then you have somebody like King Cyrus, who uh, God uh, leads to release the Babylonian captives in Isaiah 44 and 45 and second Chronicles 36 and Ezra one, um, uh, where, you know, he is ruling over the, the hearts of men and guiding things in such a way that his will is accomplished, um, uh, whether the government is really seeking to honor him completely or not. Um, uh, it's amazing uh, that he has uh, uh, that, that authority and exercises it and, and is always going to accomplish his will in the end. Well, I probably kind of got us off track when when I if if we step back, Joe, big picture. Say 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 you've got somebody who's a brand new Christian and and you're trying to teach them how we should think about civil government. Uh, what do you teach them? So when we're talking, you know, sometimes people will ask me questions about, do I need to follow the laws of the land now? And, uh, you know, some very basic things. Now that I'm now that I'm submitting to God, do I, who else do I submit to is, is a question that I will occasionally get. And so you mentioned earlier the Romans 13 passage. I think that's a, a pretty handy one to, to turn to. Um, we'll get to the caveats and exceptions and disclaimers, but I think a, a good passage to, to consider how we should view the government is found in Romans, the 13th chapter. Um, and so just, and there, and there will be some other passages that would go along with this idea, I think, as well. But uh, I had it earlier and then I turned away from it. 
Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the saying. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must subject, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, to taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So pretty clearly, it seems to be he's talking about, when in talking about these authorities here, he's talking about earthly authorities because he ties it into to paying taxes and their power for uh, capital punishment and things like that. So whatever government that you are under, you need to submit to them where you can. Whether, whether it's a communist government or a socialist government or Republican government or democratic government. So of all the of all the places that the Holy Spirit decided to have a, an inspired writer insert these instructions for Christians, Romans? Yeah, with the Roman Emperor Nero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the hot seat of... Uh, um, uh, you know, of this, you know, persecution and the, you know, the problems that Christians are going to face are they're coming out of Rome, you know, uh, maybe write this, you know, way off in, in some distant land and send that to the Christians there. But uh, yeah, to, to say this to Rome, I think really shows how serious we need to take that. And, and I think it's good. We've got a comment from a, a listener here. I want to get to in a minute what we need to get to, but, I think it's good to step back and think about where Romans 13 fits in the bigger context. If you go back to chapter 12, Paul has just called upon the saints to present their bodies as living sacrifices, to live in accordance with God's will, in love of the brethren, um, and not and blessing those who persecute them, and um, uh, not rendering evil for evil, and and. And, the, the, and he says, as much as in you life, be at peace with all men. Don't avenge yourselves. You look at those instructions, and there's, all, there's an implicit question that arises. If, if we don't render evil for evil, if we don't avenge ourselves, if we're just always being peaceful, and, and there are people who oppose us and persecuting us, we're just going to get run over. And chapter 13 is, is, in a sense, the answer to that. Uh, no, God's got a vehicle for keeping order in the world, and he's going to use government to do that. So you need to submit to government. But you could almost look at that and suppose that, okay, so his instruction to the Christians is in chapter 12. And in chapter 13, he talks about government, which is another thing that he's going to use to keep order in the world. So can Christians be involved in government or not? It's like the instructions to Christians about how they interact is in chapter 12. And the only thing it says about them in the first few verses of chapter 13 is you submit to the government, but the government's something else. 
Right. But you turn just a couple more pages to the end of the book of Romans, and you do have verse 23 of Romans 16 that mentions Erastus, the treasurer of the city. Paul's apparently writing from Corinth, and so this Erastus is the treasurer in Corinth, and he's a believer. He's a brother. He's a Christian. So I wouldn't go so far as to say that Christians can't be in government, but Christians aren't looking at government as the vehicle for bringing righteousness to this world. God's going to use government to bring order and to punish evildoers and so on, but Christians need to see themselves as, in a sense, separate from government, even if we work for the government. So my mind is still stuck in first timothy but also second timothy trying to find some kind of balance here so going back to that passage in first timothy we're praying for the kings who are authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity so there's the side of me over here and that jeff is describing well why not get involved with government then why not get in there and and shift my weight around so that i can speak for the christians and so that i can ensure that we're going to have this kind of godly life and be able to live in peace and if there's people in office that are contrary to christians being able to do just that shouldn't we get involved with that kind of thing well i, I think paul kind of gives the necessary correction to that at the end of verse or in verse seven of that same chapter in talking about Jesus in verses five and six, who gave himself as a ransom for all a testimony at the proper time, Paul says in verse seven, for this time, for this, I was appointed a herald an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Paul doesn't see himself as a preacher in the government of someone trying to shift for change there, but a preacher of Jesus Christ. That's where the truth is. And so then you fast forward over to Second Timothy. I had this verse bounce around my head too, where Paul will say, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is Second Timothy 2, 3. And in verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. So I think there's a correction there that's given to us that when we start to get distracted with world politics, the things of this civilian life, it distracts us from our goal of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and preaching his gospel. And that's what Satan wants to do with politics. He, he wants to use that as a distractor to make us slip up in all these other ways. Um, and so I think, I don't know, maybe there's some balance there in some of the things Paul writes to Timothy that we, we, we can be involved in a certain degree, but not think or or think that we'll shift the weight of the government by being involved with it uh we'll, we'll sh change people's lives with the gospel yeah yeah we, we need to make sure that we aren't thinking that we're going to use the government to uh, promote god's plan right um uh, you know that that's not the plan that god has now can you be in erastus and avoid the dangers that you mentioned in first Timothy two, three, and four, I think so. He can go and do his job and not become entangled in those things and live for those things. And likewise, you know, the other side of that, somebody who doesn't have a government job, could they become entangled in those things, even though it's not even their job? 
I, I think I could list a lot of people on Facebook uh, that, that, that very much, and I guess Facebook is just for old people now, but you know, on, on any of the social medias um, uh, where people do become quite entangled in uh, earthly government affairs to the point where they've, they've really become distracted and unfocused yeah. on spiritual things. Yeah, so exactly. And so it's, it's what Satan's trying to do is working at that point. He's distracting us with what we think is the big problem, but then he's infiltrating us on all of these other fronts that we're not even paying any attention to because we're so focused on this. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, Good luck. Yeah, you guys, you guys feel free to just cut my mic off if you need to. <laughs> but, you know, there are... <laughs> there are there are a, a lot of people who are very concerned about um, various policies that prevail in this country, whether it be the gay rights agenda or whether it be, I don't know, I don't, whatever you want to talk about, abortion, that would be a big one. And we should be disturbed by the gay rights agenda. We should be disturbed by mm -hmm. abortion. And certainly if, if our government would uh, go a different direction in those things that than they have for the last several decades, it seems that 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 would be great. But I see people who profess to be Christians hitching their wagon to somebody that they see, a political leader that they see as championing their views. And yet, uh, I, folks, if you view Donald Trump as the vehicle that you want to be associated with in bringing righteousness to this nation, um, you really have gotten caught up in politics. Politics is all about all about compromise and giving giving in here where you can get there. Donald Trump may have done some great things in terms of um, getting people on the Supreme Court who who did some things that we really like. But if I become a fan of of Donald Trump, given his character, um, given his philosophy of life, given his philosophy of how to treat people. Um, what does that say about me? I guess, yeah. I guess this, that's what I want to say. And I, and, and I don't, I don't, I think we, uh, we get there if we become convinced that we're going to change this country at the ballot box. Yes. So I want to speak to that. Yeah, Jeff, amen to everything you just said. And I think what it is, if we're not careful, sometimes we don't put this kind of terminology on it, but I'm going to. We make this person, whoever the political leader is, out to be the some kind of Christ, and then we preach their gospel, right? There is some kind of anointed one that we think is going to come in, and they're going to fix all the problems that we've been seeing. And then we go out and we preach their gospel. We, we try to talk to other yep. people about them. We try to, we try to get people to vote for them. And then we completely miss this application, like in Galatians, you're preaching another gospel, you know, and I, I realize in Galatians one, that's very specific to the Judaite, but you see the greater principle of we get distracted looking for another Christ and preaching another gospel. And that right there is exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to focus on that because then it keeps us from preaching the true gospel. So not too long ago, well, it was during the uh, 2016, I guess, uh, um, uh, election cycle, um, a, a Christian posted that 
Donald Trump was the last hope for America. And I, I questioned uh, privately this person that did, 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 you didn't mean that, did you? I mean, you know, Jesus is the only hope for anybody, right? right. And she's like, no, no, but but yes, but I, I think that, that he is. And it was like, wow, that's like, I, I didn't know what else to say once this person had said, yes, that's what I meant. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, I didn't have much influence over this person, so I didn't see a value in going on too long. But um, there are some people that have. And, and, and we're using Trump as just one example, right? Sure, yeah. It could be Biden or it could be um, uh, Kennedy or any other the uh, presidential candidates right now. Um, uh, but the fact is none of them are going to save America. And, and even the very thinking in those terms um limits our kingdom focus we, we end up being focused really on american kingdom kind of things to yeah. also i think that's an issue yeah we need to get to this comment uh, i don't want to i, I want to come back to some of that thoughts that we had but um a good comment here um i'm a christian i would tell the man on the street that if the ruler and or law works with god's word then i feel free to abide under his rule um, I would probably word that a little different, but I don't have any major issues with it. Um, I might say instead of feeling free, I would feel bound to abide under his rule. Um, but because of the passages that we looked at, I think that if he's not saying anything contrary, if the, the ruler in charge isn't saying anything contrary to God's word, then those passages that we just looked at, um, 1 Peter 2, um uh, what was it 13 to 17 or romans 3 i think they teach us that we have to we're obligated to follow those but his his disclaimer there which is a very legitimate one uh if the ruler or law works with god's word um uh, if it's contrary then what recourse do we have as god's people i'm sorry joe you asked the question didn't you yeah, that was a, that yeah. was a there was a question mark Sorry. on the end of that one. I was reading. I, I, thought, I thought I knew where you were going, and so my mind wandered to the next thing I was going to say, and then I suddenly realized, oh do, wait a minute, I think you just asked the question. Is your question? Do Christians should they be forming militias? Should they be rising up? Should they be fighting against the government? Yeah, um, et cetera, or, or, et cetera. You know what? What should you know if if they come up and say? Um, uh, you know, should, uh, what, what if the government says you can't meet on the first day of the week? And we believe that that is God's command. Uh, what if the government says you can't have a collection and we believe that that is God's command or we're going to do, we're going to do what God says. We must, you know, Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. Right. And that, and that's, and you were right. That, that was what I was looking for. It was Acts 5, 29. Um, you know, uh, they're telling Peter and John, all of the apostles in X5, to, to shut up, to don't preach in Jesus' name anymore. And uh, Peter says we ought to obey God rather than men. So um, yeah. we, a viewer asked, can, we, can a Christian participate in civil elections? Uh, I don't see any reason we can't. If, if, we, if our government gives us a voice and says, what do you think? Who do you want to represent you? Uh, sure. I'm going to express my desires and I'm going to express my desires in accordance with what God's word says about what a righteous yeah. man is and that sort of thing. Um, but the fact is whoever gets elected, whoever gets elected 
whether it's Trump or Biden or anybody else, God can and will accomplish his purposes, not only regardless of that person, but even through that person. Um, but, but we are not, you know, we're not privy to everything that God does in this world and what his intents are. What we understand, what we're privy to is what he's told us in scripture. What he's told us in scripture is about the kingdom of which we are citizens and our obligations. Um, but to Randy's question, I would say, sure, you can vote. Just don't put, don't, don't lay all your hopes on what happens yeah. as a result of that election. And put it back on that phrasing in Second Timothy two. How entangled are you? That that's the question I would ask to, for every Christian: is how entangled are you? And if, if you're really entangled, if you're somebody who who like in the parable of the soils in, in Mark chapter four, recognizes that this has become a weed in your life, where it is choking the word out because of the worries of this age, then maybe it is time for you to take a back seat in the next political cycle. Um, don't vote. To completely bow out if if this is really messing you up and causing you to fight with brethren and causing you uh, a bunch of stress. I, I would equally say there's nothing wrong with you just not participating. That's right. If you're that entangled, that's right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's a great uh, uh, companion answer to to Jeff's. If you want to vote, fine recognizing that you're not voting for um, a savior, you're not voting for an apostle, um, uh, you're not voting for a religious person. Um, the, the question is even civil elections. Uh, and so we have to realize that that's what we're dealing with. Um, sometimes we're sort of forced with, into the, um, uh, the common phrase, the lesser of two evils, you know, who, uh, who are you not going to vote for by voting or whatever? And, and, and that's fine. I'll say, and, and I state this publicly, uh, you know, for, for what it's worth, I haven't voted for the last couple of decades. Um, uh, and in part, because of what Chase said, I became so torn up about what was happening that it was affecting my spiritual life. Um, uh, and uh, I don't believe that we have the right in our country by civil law. We have the right to vote. We don't have the obligation to vote. We have the right to vote. Um, I've heard some Christians say, well, if God has given us the, the opportunity to choose who we elect, uh, who who uh, serves in Congress or White House, then we are obligated to do that. I think that's a that's a very misleading uh, position because by that same token, we have, according to our laws, the right to run for office. So does, right. does that mean that every Christian would be obligated to run for an office? No, I don't think anybody ever believes that. I've never heard anybody state that. But you see the danger of saying if we have the right, then we have the obligation. That right is a civil right. Um, uh, and so we, we need to make sure... People that want to vote, fine. People that don't want to vote, fine. That that's an individual conscious decision. Um, but but I will say that you know, and, and to to Jeff's statement or to to Chase's statement that if if it tears you up, if you're living and and breathing based upon how things are turning out, you know, 
when it comes to the elections, I follow the elections. I follow politics. I, I want to know what's going on around me because a lot of times it affects my Bible studies, the questions that people will ask and so sure. forth. And so when it comes to election night, I will often stay up and, and see how things are turning out. But for the most part, for me, and this is a slight exaggeration, it's kind of like staying up late to watch an extra innings baseball game. I'm interested to know how it's going to turn out, and I really hope that the Yankees lose. <laughs> but even if the Yankees win, I'm going to go ahead and go to bed and sleep fine that night. <laughs> yeah, and there's and here's the other thing. There's nothing you can do about it either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, especially living in New York, uh, whether we're talking about the Yankees or we're talking about politics, my vote's not going to matter either way. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we just need to make sure that we realize that God is the one that's in charge. From the very beginning of this conversation, one of the passages that I've had um, uh, on uh, on my list is Daniel 4. Um, you remember when Nebuchadnezzar um, had the dream and uh, was pretty torn up about that? And I'm getting ready to sneeze, so I'm going to try to avoid that. But um, uh, when uh, Daniel comes in and interprets it, a couple of things about this. One, this is a pagan uh, king um, who has some recognition of God, chapters 2 and 3. Um, but it's still uh, pagan and, uh, and polytheistic at best. Um, uh, but Daniel's view toward this king who is keeping the Israelites captive is that he wishes that it wasn't going to happen to this king, um, uh, that, that he, he wishes better for this king. He does the same thing for, for, for Darius in chapter 6. These pagan kings, Daniel doesn't wish death upon them. Uh, you know, in fact, he, he says something here to the effect of, uh, you know, may this be uh, upon your enemies instead of you. But in just kind of cutting it to the chase, uh, chase, Daniel 4 and in verse 25, they shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with dew and the heaven seven times shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he chooses. That statement's made about three different times or maybe more than that even in this text. It's stated again in verse 32, uh, stated again, slightly different terminology in verses 34 and 35. Um, God's in charge and God decides who's going to be ruling. And so I'm not opposed to voting. Maybe God will use that sometimes. That's, that's up to God. I don't know what all God is doing. Um, uh, but but God is the one that's going to decide who's in power. Could can I make this suggestion to those who vote? And and I do. I vote. But let me let me suggest this because the viewer was asking, is it all right to vote? We've all said yes, it's all right to vote. But you don't have to vote. But can I, if you do vote, don't forget who you are when you mm -hmm. vote. Well, yeah. what what am I supposed to be? If I'm a Christian, my life is not about selfishness. My life is not about self-serving uh, things. So when I go into the voting booth, I should still be who I'm supposed to be. And so my vote shouldn't be primarily based on, well, who's going to give me the farm subsidy that I'm looking for? My vote shouldn't be primarily based on, well, who's going to give me the, the, the better Social Security benefit? My, my vote, if I go in and that's my priority, and I forget what Proverbs 14 
uh, 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation. Uh, and I vote for somebody who is manifestly an unrighteous individual. Now you can say, well, everybody's unrighteousness. Everybody's unrighteous. Okay, sure. But I don't believe in Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs 14, 34, it's talking about righteousness as in justification in Christ Jesus. I think it's talking about basically that moral standard that prevails in some societies and doesn't in others. And righteousness exalts a nation. And if I go and, and if you and if I if I help put somebody in office who is manifestly unrighteous, that's that's not going to help the nation toward righteousness. So on the one hand, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change what the nation is by voting in somebody who's righteous. But I'm certainly not going to help it get there by voting in somebody who's unrighteous. So if I prioritize my personal financial benefit that I think one candidate may give me or, or, or another candidate may give me, if I prioritize that in such a way that I vote for somebody that I know he is just an ungodly, immoral, unrighteous person, and he is going to, to, to lead this nation in that kind of manner, I'm forgetting who I am. When I go into vote, I would say that. Good, good, good observation. Um, and for those of you that might be looking for uh, Proverbs fourteen thirty four, uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Um, uh, Jeff had uh, quoted that passage there. I think really helpful to, to keep in mind. While we're thinking about wisdom literature too, I'll just say this. I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes, just a read through of that as well make some comments on exactly what we're talking about, the rise and fall of leaders, despite righteousness or unrighteousness, there's a rise and a fall there. Mm -hmm. And there's not a whole lot we can do about that. And the reason why the ecclesiastic writer is commenting on that is to help us understand we need to look higher than the things that are under the sun if we want to find any kind of fulfillment. Um, so anyways, for what it's worth, Ecclesiastes has a good bit to say about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I did this uh, uh, three years ago. I'll probably do it again next year. Um, uh, uh, you know, when it, on election day, uh, I made some stickers. You know, when people come out of the voting booth, they they'll give you a sticker that says "I voted," right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I made some stickers that said "I prayed." Yeah, that's good. That's good. And you know, I think First Timothy two. Um, <laughs> I I'd thought about doing this, but I might just go to a polling place and stand however many feet I need to stand away and offer those stickers uh, just to try to remind people that you know it's fine what you did, but what we're commanded to do is to pray for those yeah. in authority. Um, uh, we already touched on 1 Timothy 2, um, uh, you know, pray for kings and for all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And again, as Chase mentioned, that's tied to the preaching of the gospel down in verse 7. Um, uh, you know, that's men should be lifting up their holy hands praying in verse 8. Uh, and so whatever we're going to think about in terms of our involvement in civil earthly governments, let's remember what we're commanded to do. And, and that would be to pray for them. And that would be pray for Trump, pray for Biden or Kennedy, or, you know, 
John Smith or, or whoever it might be that's um, that's going to be the the next authority, and whether that's federal, state, or local, you know, we ought to be praying for for these people. Um, I, I just really appreciate you know seeing some of those prayers that are offered up um, by godly people. Uh, I mentioned, I think I got that out of uh, order when I mentioned it earlier. It was in Daniel six, right? Where uh, Daniel had uh, had made this statement uh, concerning uh, the the king, uh, Daniel six twenty one. Daniel's down in the lion's den where the king has put him because the king had been duped, but it, the king is the one that put him there. Daniel's first response to the king the next morning is, "O king, live forever." You know, we ought to have such a gracious attitude toward those who would throw us into a lion's den. Um, you know, maybe thinking about some political decisions and so forth that might put us in jeopardy in different ways. We should pray you know, for those people. You know, I, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, okay, I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> so I want to mention one passage, just set it up. Uh, this is changing the subject a little bit. This is kind of big picture. Um, the city of Philippi, it was populated by Roman military veterans. And not only was it populated by Roman military veterans, it held a special status. There's a Latin phrase, and right now I can't think of what the Latin phrase was, but it was a status. It was the highest status for a Roman provincial municipality, and that status was granted to Philippi. And it did several things. It created the legal fiction that they were on Italian soil. Even though Philippi's over in Macedonia, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Rome, certainly not in Italy. Nonetheless, it legally had the standing as if it was on Italian soil. And that gave them special property rights, that gave them exemption from various taxes. They had rights to engage in civil lawsuits that not everybody had. And there's a, a man who's written a work called Philippians, uh, Hellerman, and there's a quote in his work. He says, archeological finds from the site of Philippi reveal a socially stratified population obsessed with status markers such as Roman citizenship. So here's this city in which it's all about being Roman and having that status and that citizenship. And there are people who become Christians there. And Paul writes a letter to them and he says to them, Romans th uh, Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that that is impressive. I think that puts things in perspective for us. It's funny, Jeff, my passage was actually going to be in the chapter after that, because I, I don't know about you guys, but when I do see the news come on and some of those things come up, I mean, when I go to the gym and I get on the treadmill or on the bike, they have TVs up and the first thing that'll pop up is CNN or Fox news and I'll catch headlines and I'll, I try to turn it off, but it does. It makes me worried and anxious when you read these things. You see these people arguing back and forth. What if every time we saw a political ad or every time we saw something like that come across on the news, what if when we felt anxious, we just did what Paul said in verse 6 of chapter 4, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What if every time we saw something like that come across the news, we prayed instead, like Joe was saying earlier? 
And if you're someone who struggles with getting wrapped up in that, I can guarantee you, because this is what Paul is saying, if you will give your heart to the Lord in those moments, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. And I have found that to be helpful, and uh, I need to be more diligent in that. And so I'm glad we were talking about this today, guys, because the political cycle has already started. I think the Republican primaries have started. So if you follow those, I'm sure there we have some listeners who are following that. And soon, whenever the Republicans narrow down their guy, we're going to start seeing these debates between the Democrat nominee and the Republican. And we're not careful. We can get all kinds of worried and um, caught up in those things and entangled and it distracts us. And so I think these were some helpful reminders today. Yeah. yeah uh, all three of us uh, readily admit we don't have all the answers for um, uh, the, the questions that are related, but we must approach it from one who belongs to Christ and who is a citizen of heaven. Uh, so uh, hopefully, these discussions, but more importantly, the scriptures that we've presented will help to guide us and our listeners as well um, uh, in the, the both the present and in the future as we seek to be pleasing to God first in, in all things. So thanks for listening to us uh, this evening, this afternoon, and uh, join us, uh, Lord willing, next Wednesday at three o'clock as well. Thank you.